Welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. In today's episode, we have two very special guests joining us, Stephen Sim, Vice President of ISACA's Singapore Chapter, and Kenny Yao, Associate Director and Head of Asia-Pacific Cybersecurity Practice within the ICT team of Frost and Sullivan. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Our topic centers around a recent ISACA Frost and Sullivan survey around the state of cybersecurity in Singapore. Before we begin this, I would like to have each of our guests do a quick introduction about themselves. Let's start off with you, Stephen. Uh, give us a quick intro about yourself. Yeah, hi guys. I'm the current vice president of the ISACA Singapore chapter. For those of you who are not familiar with ISACA, ISACA provides our top leadership in the space of governance, risk, compliance, cybersecurity audit. And um, so um, it has um, 146,000 members across 224 chapters in 188 countries. I mean, Singapore alone, we have more than now 2,800 members. And so if you're familiar with the certifications of CISA, CISM, Series, and C-Guide. These are certifications in areas of audit, security management, risk, and governance. And now we also have a new certification, which is for data privacy, which is called CDPSE. So um, myself, I worked for more than three years in the cybersecurity field uh, with large end-user enterprises and critical infrastructures undertaken global CISO role, driven security governance, management initiatives, and hit response and so forth. Thank you. Thanks for that, Stephen. Kenny, what about yourself? Yep, uh, thank you so much, Alan. Um, for myself, uh, I'm taking care of the Asia-Pacific Cybersecurity Practice at Frost & Sullivan. Just a, a bit of introduction for those who don't know Frost & Sullivan. Frost & Sullivan is a market research and consulting firm. So our goal is really to help our customers prepare for the future. And uh, the way that we are doing it in the cybersecurity team is really helping them understand the broader market in cybersecurity in Asia-Pacific and globally. Uh, with regards to the survey, uh, from what I understand, this is actually a global survey from ASAKA's perspective. But briefly, if, if Stephen, if maybe you could provide us with a profile of the participants of the survey in the Singapore chapter. The Singapore chapter membership is typically auditors, a head of audits. We have chief information security officers, head of IT governance, head of risk, and so forth. And the reason being, people come and join membership in ASAKA Singapore for various reasons. Uh, one, of course, is to tap on the top leadership, the, the various monthly articles written by our membership and the, and the release of uh, educational bites and so forth. The other reason is, uh, uh, more obviously, is because of the certifications. These certifications like CISA, CISM are widely known and repeated. And you look at the job descriptions, uh, often they have the certifications as a requirement. And therefore, because our certifications are in the areas of audit, security management, risk, uh, and cybersecurity, so our membership is pretty much made up of folks who are in this area. And the more senior ones are typically the CISOs, the head of governance, and so forth. So, Alan, I can give you a bit more context on the study itself. So, you know, exactly as uh, Stephen has mentioned, because of the type of members uh, that uh, ISACA has, it's really very relevant to understand what ISACA members are thinking about for cybersecurity. Because for ISACA members, that's their day-to-day -day job. They, they are ISACA members because they're taking care of risk, taking care of audit, they're taking care of cybersecurity, information security. So uh, this particular study has been on for the last two years. 
last year and this year. And this is the second year that we're running this in partnership with ISACA. And uh, this year, we've managed to get 51 different respondents from organizations throughout Singapore. Uh, the primarily, the respondents were from larger organizations with 500 employees and above from various uh, different industries. So we wanted to really understand the view of the Singaporean enterprise and what they're going through when you're thinking about cybersecurity, especially since this year is quite unique, especially around COVID. From my understanding, one of the results of the survey is that the supply chains perceive as a new threat, right? Now, my own understanding talking to CIOs and CISOs is that this should not be a surprise given that we are in a connected economy and businesses establish connections first and foremost to grow revenue. Everything else, including security, not surprisingly remains an afterthought. And what needs to happen both internally and externally for this to change? So in in this particular case, uh, going back to the the study results, uh, when we talk about supply chain in this particular case, we meant the people that are connected to your enterprise in ways that probably you don't really think about. I think for every enterprise and for all of us in a working environment, we rely on other people for certain parts of our work. So it could be, for example, in software, we would use components uh, that are already pre-made. Software that's already pre-done. Uh, and we put those components together to form a, a complete solution. Uh, supply chain could also mean that we actually use people. So, for example, we use additional vendors from outside to complete this particular section or service providers to cover this particular area. And in cybersecurity, that always happens. We always have interns, contractors, service providers, SIs. They're coming in to help our organization for cybersecurity. So the problem that we see is that, you know, sometimes our workers, our employees, you know, are doing their work. But are we looking at the risk that comes from beyond the employee for the guys that actually help our organization the interns contractors si service providers as well you know steven i think you you have a lot of experience with that especially in your organization being a global organization what do you think yeah indeed I, um, the supply chain for the supply chain itself we look at both upstream and downstream definitely uh, across people process and technology to add on to what kenny has shared um i think the paradigm of the new supply chain it is in industry 4.0 or supply chain 4.0, which is very much that of uh, automation, uh, predictive analytics, uh, self-healing, buzzwords that you have heard uh, very often, where the reliability of um, cyber physical systems uh, in the likes of OT and now IIoT, because IoT is now used in the critical areas, they are all increasingly becoming important. So as we strive towards becoming a smart nation, or now you've heard of uh, smart cities all over the world, uh, critical infrastructure are involved here as well. So therefore, internally, I feel that the um, the security by design doctrine must be internalized. That's what uh, Kenny has uh, mentioned earlier, uh, and across people, process, and technology, where security is not an afterthought. We know that there are no silver bullets in cybersecurity, and the culture and mindset should not be one of cybersecurity actually, but more of risk. A business needs to take risk to progress, but the amount of risk needs to be optimized. The, the, the company needs to realize business benefits while optimizing the risk and the resources, right? And, and, and if you talk about external, externally, government intervention is actually already at play. For instance, in Singapore, the Cybersecurity Agency of Singapore released a cybersecurity link scheme for smart devices. I mean, this helps someone in the push for security by design which is a hot topic nowadays. Now, all the efforts that CISOs or the security teams uh, put in place, these policies and practices, I mean, are they going to waste if employees still do not practice 
proper cybersecurity policies? And do we need a bigger stick, If as I say it? I mean, I know that in some banks, they actually disable the USB ports, for example, so you cannot plug anything in. But it's a laptop, so you can still take it out of the office, I guess. I mean, what are your thoughts on this, gentlemen? My view, um, cybersecurity will not go anywhere. If we are seen as uh, policemen on a witch, witch hunt, the risk conversation must definitely take place. And to get buy-in, um, cybersecurity needs to be seen as a business enabler or differentiator. As what uh, the survey has alluded to, that that is an important component. And not a business showstopper. Or we are not trying to inhibit the convenience of the people at work over here. So in, in the example you used, um, disabling USB port is not effective if there is no other alternate means of enabling the business to transfer data to support its operations. So hence, the disabling of USB has to go hand in hand with solutions such as, for instance, our company shared drives or documentation websites in the likes of uh, Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive and uh, even MS Teams. So on and so forth. So again, it cuts across uh, people, process, and technology. You you shared also about the the pass uh, the passwords itself uh, being displayed. Uh, it is not just people alone. It is also the technology. Nowadays, we are talking about passwordless, right? Making it convenient for the users uh, using the fingerprints on your and to your device, so that uh, it can be used as uh, another factor of authentication. Uh, that's one. And with that. Uh, multi-factor authentication becomes more tolerable. You do not need to dangle multiple different tokens. Uh, in the past, you need the hard tokens, multiple different tokens, uh, string onto your keychain. Now, you just need your mobile phone, whether it's uh, in Singapore, we talk about SingPass, you just need your mobile phone to authenticate the SingPass and even get access to A-level results and O-level results, right? I think hum- uh, human factor is an, an issue. I think we, we all recognize that uh, many uh, IT teams and CISO teams, what they do is really focus primarily on technology. And I think, uh, you know, going back to what Stephen keeps saying again and again, people process technology, cybersecurity needs to be holistic. And uh, too often, IT teams only think about it from a technology perspective. They think about it from, am I getting the right solution? Do I have enough uh, different solutions covering different control points? But, you know, are we actually putting, making sure that the policies are in place? And based on those policies, are procedures actually carried out? You know, how do we actually make sure that that's being carried out on a regular basis? How do we make sure that our people, from a people perspective, are getting trained? And how do we make sure that the training is consistent and, you know, repeatable? So I think that's always the case. I think uh, human factor will always be there, right? As, as long as all of us are working, uh, we always have people in our organization. And human factor must be augmented in a way. So we have to be aware, understand, so that we can change the behavior. Uh, one of the action items of becoming a digital enterprise these days is to become more data-driven. How does an enterprise become data-driven while at the same time ensuring that this data remains protected throughout its life cycle? Stephen, would you like to take it up? Sure. I think we, we all know nowadays that um, data is the new oil, especially Industry 4.0, where we push forth for predictive analytics and self-healing. I think we already see uh, data-driven approaches in various uh, aspects of business and also in cybersecurity. For instance, in cybersecurity, we talk about the use of uh, SIEM and SOAR solutions. These are data-driven uh, solutions. So as threat intelligence and hunting. Again, these are data-driven approaches and they are important in what we call an active defense strategy because it's, it's no longer a matter of if but when a company can be breached. So uh, there's no silver bullet in prevention. So there's a lot more focus on detection, uh, response and recovery. That is where this uh, active defense uh, strategy came about. So um, in, in general, privacy by design has to take place in tandem with security by design. So PII information should be masked and uh, privacy preserving techniques 
should also be put in place in the lights of uh, data masking, bring your own key, uh, dual key encryption, and um, so forth. And in the space of analytics, uh, areas such as homomorphic encryption are being actively explored as more and more companies uh, get into the area of data lakes and data analytics. But I have not seen, uh, perhaps Kenny, you can... Uh, but I have not seen many mature solutions in the market right now. Mm. Uh, holistically, from the process perspective, I think earlier on we talked about the aspect and everything else. The whole life cycle of the data itself, from consent, usage to storage to disposal, has to be taken account holistically mm. in its life cycle. So as an enterprise, um, data protection officers and data owners, as well as the data custodians, must be assigned with the right levels of data accountability and responsibilities. Um, so security by design and privacy by design needs to be ingrained into corporate processes, including new employee and, and to And to follow on to, from that, and, and those are great points, Stephen, uh, to follow on from that, I think it really has to be something that the organization takes up as a culture. So very often, and I think this is really driven by many jurisdictions, multiple countries uh, are actually pushing data privacy very strongly uh, in, in various ways, right? Every country is in, at a different stage, but data privacy across the board is becoming more and more important. Now, that means that the governments or uh, jurisdictions are actually putting in place certain requirements, regulatory requirements for organizations to make sure that their data privacy is protected, like just exactly like what Stephen was mentioning but I think most organizations, unfortunately, only do the bare minimum. They, these are the bare basic requirements from the data protection office. I will follow the bare minimum and I will do no more. So I think the back to what I talked about culture, it's very important for organizations to see this as a cultural shift. How do we make sure that data privacy is important because data is supposed to be private. It's not because I'm doing this because of regulation, because of the government uh, rules. I'm doing this because I want to make sure that my client's data is protected, uh, our own proprietary data is protected, because I want to reduce risk for my business. I need to take this, as Stephen mentioned earlier, from a risk perspective. I want to reduce the risk that my organization is going to. So I think it really is a mindset shift that organizations need. We've started to see organizations outsource a lot of their IT requirements, including security, right? So you have managed security services out there. Is it advisable to add data protection clauses into these? Or actually, maybe they're already in there. And more importantly, given that not all organizations have a CISO or CSO, who should take charge of making sure about covering this data protection issue for organizations? I think when you're looking for a service provider, it's very important besides all the different typical requirements, whether you have the technical expertise, whether you have, you're able to meet my requirements, whether you are able to hit my budget. Those are you know, typical things that organizations look for. But you brought up a great point. I mean, how, where is the line of responsibility? I think it's always uh, about how there is a shared responsibility when using a service provider. Be it a managed security service provider, be it a cloud service provider, there is a level of uh, responsibility that you have to take and that is a responsibility that the cloud service provider or managed security service provider has to take. So I think that has to be defined very clearly as organizations look to use service providers, especially on the cloud more and more. I think that kind of questioning, that kind of putting it down in an SLA is very, very important. So the service level agreement will sort of bind both parties to what they are responsible for and what they should be doing. So it really is important for organizations to think this very clearly. It, you know, moving to the cloud, for example, or using a managed security service provider doesn't mean that it's just uh, the way I always done things. I have to really consider how data is protected, how data is moving, so that I can also reduce that risk. 
Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I fully concur with Kenny about the shared responsibility. So the accountability itself still lies with the organization, the enterprise. And uh, from the regulatory front, data protection clauses must be stipulated by what Kenny has alluded to, the service level agreements as well as T's and C's of terms and conditions. And the clauses must reflect the consent, use, storage and the disposal of the data. So in the example given about the MSSP, many enterprises, when they send information to and from the NSS over the email, for instance, there's been, there has to be some agreed securing mechanism that, that is uh, discussed, the protocol that's discussed. For instance, some enterprises will discuss with the MSSP, managed security service provider, to use some PGP encryption to send uh, sensitive information and alerts across. Why do I say that? Because I have seen cases where the MSSPs was trying to send um, security event alerts to company A, but mistakenly send it to company B. And so if, if the data is not encrypted with the public key of the enterprise is trying to send to, then the information would have been picked up. To the question about who should take charge of this, I think a, a data-driven approach like what Kenny has alluded to is a team sport. Uh, this needs to be worked out together, even internally within the organization, by the cybersecurity, the legal team, the data protection officer, and the procurement together. Because the procurement is the one that puts in the default chief uh, in any tender. And um, as far as awareness and education is concerned, I think shadow IT has to be looked at. So there are many departments in the company, in the enterprise, in order to for good speed to market, they may try to vendors out there, right? Without consult consulting IT. And that is a big risk in itself. So, so shadow IT has to be avoided where possible uh, by involving the IT, the cybersecurity team. Users must know to approach cybersecurity whenever there is a new project in order to ensure the right level of assessment is performed. Now, the ASAFA Frost study identified a lack of trained cybersecurity staff as an HR issue. What's the answer to this? Do I outsource cybersecurity just because I, I can't really find the, the experts that I need in-house? And if we do have it in-house, uh, how do we ensure? How do, Is there an active policing process that we need to do to ensure that everybody follows the rules or guidelines around cybersecurity? Why don't we start with you, Kenny? Sure. I'll give my I'll answer maybe the front part of that question based on Frost and Sullivan's research in this area. So, managed security services are one of the very key important parts of uh, cybersecurity spending today. Uh, across Asia Pacific, in fact, is actually the third largest piece of cybersecurity spending overall. Now, the reason for this rise is really exactly the mentioned. That is a difficulty, a global actually, a global issue regarding the 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 lack of cybersecurity experts. Uh, and this is something that happens around the world in every country, that there aren't enough experts. So uh, we, we, whenever we talk to clients, uh, it's always about, you know, they try their best. They really try to, to get the team, to maintain the team, but people leave, people are poached by other organizations. Uh, you know, it's very hard to keep that team up and running. So many of them have gone through that phase of trying to do it on their own. And they realize that maybe I should be actually thinking about an outsourced solution like a MSSP on how they can better manage the cybersecurity. So uh, this is an area that is an option. I wouldn't say it's, a, a, you know, just like Stephen mentioned, there's no silver bullet for cybersecurity. There's no one thing that you could do. But it, it, it can be a, potentially an option that so many organizations can think about. Stephen, what, what do you think about the second part of the question? Yeah, I think, um, in fact, uh, I think Kenny is spot on. Securing managed security services does help to resolve the tier one and two support. I mean, these folks are typically on shift, look at logs and events, or threat hunt 
on a round-the-clock basis, a lot of fatigue will set in, and once they get bored on the day-to-day routine, they may decide to look for other job opportunities. Therefore, staff retention will become an issue over here. But, um, having said that, to the second part of the question, uh, the accountability and ownership still lies with the organisation. You still need the internal staff. So what you need is actually uh, business domain experts who understand the business, technical people who understand the business and the domain, to support incident response and business recovery. As what Kenny has alluded to, no silver bullets, expect uh, the uh, incidents, expect black swans and so forth. The amount of staffing, if you are alluding to uh, what level of staffing, it, sh- it should be proportional to the risk and exposure of the business. The number of critical and sensitive assets needs to be protected. And um, a business impact analysis has to be conducted before a reliable headcount can be determined. There's no fixed rule to say that you need these X numbers. If it, it is a variable that depends on all the factors I've mentioned. One other thing is that the report also mentioned about reputational loss as the highest risk to a, an organization. But with humans, the constant source of cyber insecurity, as I write it. Kenny, on your end, on reputational loss, how do we minimize this thing? Yes, so organizations need to think about losses holistically because most organizations only look at losses of cybersecurity from a financial standpoint. So they're not looking at losses holistically across the multiple different ways. Like most most commonly, they will look about it at, uh, for example, professional services, the cost of professional services to fix the issue. Uh, it could be thinking about it from a fines or lawsuits perspective. But the losses from cybersecurity are so much wider. It could be reputational loss where organizations and consumers refuse to use your service moving forward because of the particular bad news in the media. It could be even uh, investor uh, losing uh, confidence in your company and the share price actually going down. So, you know, when you talk about losses from cybersecurity, we must recognize that losses are holistic. It is not just financial, it is also non-financial factors as well. So organizations must think about this from a risk perspective. How do I reduce the risk of such losses coming and affecting me? How do we recognize the size of the risk and how do we actively manage that risk? Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I fully concur with you, uh, Kenny. And uh, in this aspect of reputation loss, uh, we also worry about the supply chain uh, laterally uh, impacting enterprises. So in fact, uh, just a few days ago, there, there was a big major company that got by ransomware and help to ransom and it's customers right they down the supply chain they're concerned and some of them uh, potentially have shut their internet borders right to avoid uh, being uh, infected by the malware that is trying to spread so others may follow suit as well to shut their doors and as you rightly pointed out competitors uh, may take advantage so with humans being a constant source of cyber insecurity the question is uh, how can we introduce change throughout the organization again and it was right, there's no silver bullets in cybersecurity. But so some of the areas that we can work on, for instance, on the people front, buy-in needs to be built through awareness and education. We need key risk indicators to determine when there are failings in the people aspect. Right? From the education front, this can be in the form of results from phishing simulation exercises, where you send emails pretending to be from the attackers, trying to fish for information or trying to load malware in the emails and uh, hoping that the users will click on it. So, so this, these are simulation exercises that test the employees. And you can also look at the number of employees who pass e-learning modules. More and more mm. enterprises are 
developing their own own customized uh, e-learning modules on their platforms so that they can um, educate their users in, in, in mass, right? So from the technology front, because we talk about people process the technology front, uh, we'll need user entity behavior analytics technology to support such endeavors. I mean, in the likes of, uh, since we're talking about the cloud, in the likes of CASBs or cloud, access security brokers and even web security gateways. Enterprises should also consider data leakage protection solutions. The data from these mechanisms serve as inputs for well-informed decision-making to drive measures in a holistic security improvement program. Uh, looking at the findings of this survey, I, mean, I think you've covered quite a bit in terms of recommendations to both the secure teams and to the CIOs. Is there one advice that you would like to offer these enterprises in, in Singapore with regards to their cybersecurity practice moving forward. Survey itself uh, is useful. The results are useful because we are looking at a strong ecosystem. And thanks to uh partnering with Asaka Singapore to develop this um, survey and gather the results. This this set of findings um, should be used by any enterprise to reflect upon. Uh, they should look at these findings um, from the various aspects across people, process and technology, how they should look at uh, business enablement or differentiating their business using cybersecurity as the core in a risk optimization approach and have more focus into detection, response and recovery. Because I recall one of the survey results is about um, incidents. I think there are easily more than half of the respondents. I mean, Frost, uh, I think Kenny, you, you can uh, put details on that, um, have encountered incidents. but a lot of them do not appear to be prepared in terms of incident response and forensics and uh, recovery. I mean, um, ultimately, like what Kenny has alluded to earlier, it is all about risk optimization. I, I like to use the analogy of the leopard tanks. Why leopard tanks? During the National Day Parade in Singapore recently, how we had leopard tanks uh, going around the housing estates and so forth. We know they are very secure from a personnel safety perspective. They are very secure. So if they are so secure, why don't we all just drive, drive leopard tanks to work? Right. It is all about the balancing. Right. Um, there needs to be uh, proper business needs with the optimization of recent and resources. So I hope that organizations can take this survey, assess their own maturity against what we are seeing elsewhere and see how they can develop a holistic security improvement program to elevate their maturity further so that um, cybersecurity is really being seen as a business differentiator. What will be that one key trend for organizations around cybersecurity as we close 2020 and come into the new 2021? Again, the, the three key takeaways for us as we were doing the study was very clear. I think Stephen mentioned one of them about the perception of cybersecurity being very important. The organization themselves must see that cybersecurity is a key enabler, a business differentiator, and not simply something that's a burden or a cost to the organization. So that's one of the key takeaways. The number two takeaway it was what we mentioned earlier about the human factor. How are you as an organization going to address the human factor moving forward? Are you going to do training? Are you going to do processes? Are you, how are you going to make, uh, put solutions and technology in place? So that the, the behavior of the human and the risk of that, uh, of that behavior is reduced. That's number two. And number three, it's very important that the organization holistically looks at cybersecurity. It's not just the cybersecurity team, not just the IT team. It is the CEO. It is the board of directors. It is the legal team, the HR team. Everybody needs to get involved in cybersecurity for it to really happen in that organization. 
So that's our three takeaways for the study. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me on Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was Stephen Sim, Vice President of ISACA Singapore Chapter, joined by Kenny Yeo, Associate Director and Head of Asia Pacific Cybersecurity Practice, ICT at Frost & Sullivan, and you are listening in to Podcast for Future CIO. If you would like us to cover a topic on this channel, please email us at editors at See you on the next episode of Podcast for Future CIO.